and welcome back to the National Treasure Hunt podcast, where the secret lies not only with Charlotte, but also with your co-hosts and today's special guest interviewee. My name is Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And I cannot believe, first and foremost, that we have somehow reached the final episode of season two of our show. Emily, this is absolutely crazy. Time truly does fly when you're having fun. It, I mean, low-key, this is the highlight of my week every week, so I'm a little sad that we're going into hiatus mood. <laughs> <laughs> but I don't know about you. Maybe that's just me. I'm really afraid that, like, the um, while we take this brief break, and again, I should, spoiler alert, we are coming back. This is not the end. We will be back soon. You'll have to listen more to this episode to find out when we're coming back. But I'm a little worried that these weird pop-up moments of national treasure in my daily life are going to cease somehow when we go I, into this hiatus. I, I don't think that's going to happen. You don't? You think I'm just going to have a really long list of screams from Parkington Lane to choose from when we come back? Yes. That's exactly <laughs> what will happen. Well, that's something we can all look forward to. And speaking of, before we get down to the brass tacks of this episode, which, my goodness, it is a good one to end this season on, and more on that in just a second, let's indulge in our favorite mini-segment, Screams from Parkington Lane. For anyone who's new to our show, this, of course, is the time for Emily and myself to explain to you all just how deep into the national treasure pit we have fallen and where national treasure continues to pop up in our daily lives. And um, Emily somehow doesn't have a scream to share today. I don't know what's wrong with her. <laughs> I've been working too hard. Okay, I don't know what that means about me, but I do have a scream to share. And I'm excited, Emily, because it's another dream. National Treasure has not just infiltrated my dreams once now. It has been multiple times. Mm. Uh, this time, I actually had this dream where I had to go to my boss's office or, like, house to drop off paperwork. For some reason, he was, like, living on the beach in this, like, mansion, as one does. Okay. Um, to get there, I had to swim through... Uh, the ocean and I looked down and there were a bunch of sharks and it turns out they were sharks, but they looked like pangolins. Um, I don't know. Dream world, right? Sure. But um, where national treasure comes in into play here is I got to his house to drop off the paperwork and behind him, I see that in his study, he has the resolute desk. Ah, <laughs> just casually, casually as one does. I mean, you know, I don't know if he st if he pulled a Nick Cage and stole it, or if he was supposed to be the president in my dream, or, you know, the only thing that would have made this more national treasure was if Nick Cage was my boss in the dream. Yeah, that definitely would have been, that would have woken you up. <laughs> Peak national treasure. <laughs> Well, um, I'm really excited to figure out what national treasure dreams lie ahead for me in the coming weeks and months. But you know what, guys? If you have screams to share with us, if you have national treasure dreams, if you think Nick Cage is your boss, please tell us about it. We want to hear about it on social media. Emily, where are they going to do that? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. 
go ahead and find us for your listening ears on iTunes, SoundCloud, or Spotify. We are National Treasure Hunt. Go ahead and like, rate, review, do any of the things that you can on those platforms. Go ahead and give us a follow on Instagram and Twitter and let us know your thoughts, as Aubrey has said, especially after this amazing episode, which I am so excited about. So please tell us what you think about it. Yeah, it's going to be good. And it's it's going to be good because the content's amazing, but also because it's going to lead us into more content on our social media in the future. You'll see what we mean shortly. But okay, what is this episode that we're so excited about today? I, I got to say, guys, without any sugarcoating it, we have an incredible interview to bring you with someone who works at the Mount Vernon estate. And not only works there, she is truly a Mount Vernon expert, in my opinion, from our conversation. She was at the estate when filming of National Treasure 2 was happening there, you know, and and just a wealth of knowledge, an incredible conversation. But in case, you know, some of you folks aren't as deep in the National Treasure Pit as Emily and I are, you might actually barely remember why Mount Vernon is important for National Treasure too. I mean, honestly, Emily, it's not the longest scene. It's not. And, you know, it's one of those that someone like me would probably need a reminder about. Yeah, I mean, interestingly enough, though, in a way, Mount Vernon is to National Treasure 2 what the archives was to the first National Treasure. And the reason for that is these two locations were the backdrop for each of the film's big heist moments, right? Mm. In National Treasure 2, of course, Ben Gates kidnaps the President of the United States, and he does that at the Mount Vernon estate. And that was, of course, as we've discussed multiple times on this show, filmed on site at the very real Mount Vernon. And uh, that's really the impetus for this conversation today. I mean, I personally think that this scene was a really creative way of incorporating yet another historical landmark into the franchise. And not just any historical landmark, but one that I think has a ton of interesting history associated with it, but for whatever reason is maybe lesser known than like a library of Congress or a Lincoln Memorial or anything like that. Mm -hmm. And that's probably, I mean, it's, it's cause it's not on the national mall. True. That's a good point. Um, and, and we know that Mount Vernon is also near and dear to our hearts here on National Treasure Hunt because it has one of the most poignant and beautiful callbacks to the first National Treasure movie that can be easily overlooked. And that, of course, is the fact that Ben has this map of Mount Vernon that was apparently um, the possession of a slave named Charlotte that worked at Mount Vernon. And of course, we all know the secret lies with Charlotte. Well, in the first movie, that meant a ship. In the second movie, you could say uh, that was the slave that was at Mount Vernon. Um, so it's a beautiful way that the two films are tied together in a really uh, subtle and nuanced fashion, I think. Mm -hmm. So Emily, our guest today, 
who I know you and I both really enjoyed. Oh my gosh. Her name is Annette Ahrens, and she is a senior interpretive supervisor at the Mount Vernon estate. And she's going to tell us what that means and what her job entails. Um, But again, she's also going to tell us a little bit about the actual production of the film on site, what that entailed from Mount Vernon's perspective, and also some fun facts here and there, both about the filming and the history and what inspired pieces of the film that was news to me and you, Em. Oh, yeah. Basically, everything she said I had a shocked face for. It was just straight-up amazement the entire time. This might be one of my favorite interviews we've done to date. Um, And in part because she did invite us to come visit and give us a tour. True. We will be doing that, and we can't wait to document it on social media. Just another reason for y'all to follow us. (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so... What will you learn from Annette this episode? Okay, you're going to learn a ton, but a couple things that stand out. Um, Was Charlotte a real person? You're going to find out. (laughs) What unique parts of the Mount Vernon estate will you only see if you go on Mount Vernon's National Treasure Tour? And yes, that's the thing. They have the National Treasure Tour which we will be taking. (laughs) Yeah, sooner rather than later. And hey, here's a fun tidbit. How did Randy Travis end up in the Mount Vernon scene shot for National Treasure 2? That was was an interesting one. That was a shocker. I know. That's what you're going to get, and so, so much more. So honestly, without further ado, Em, I don't think there's anything else for us to say. We hope you all enjoy this season two finale episode of National Treasure Hunt featuring the one and only Annette Ahrens from Mount Vernon. So Annette, thank you so much for joining us on the National Treasure Hunt podcast today. We are so excited to have you. And I'm hoping you could maybe start us off by introducing yourself and your background and what your role at Mount Vernon actually is. Uh, Of course, Uh, my name is Annette Ahrens. Uh, I am a senior interpretive supervisor here at Mount Vernon. And uh, two weeks ago, I celebrated my 15th anniversary of working here. So um, people who work here, essentially what you would think of as guides are actually called historic interpreters. Uh, because history is just chock full and you have to pick and choose what you talk about. So you're actually interpreting history. Uh, a great parallel is, uh, you know, you have the keys on the, on a keyboard of a piano and you pick which keys to play for the music you're playing. Uh, and so we're crafting the story and, and that's how you can't share everything. You have to pick and choose. Uh, And my role as a senior interpreter history uh, interpreter means that I supervise other interpreters. And as a supervisor, my particular job, because each of us has a different sphere of influence, I train people in the walking tours. So among the walking tours that we offer and that I train people in is our national treasure tour. Oh, we can't wait to get into that more later. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. So, um, I mean, you just mentioned all the history and stuff and I, I never thought of it that way, but it is really interesting to think that there is so much history that you can't go into all of it every time. Uh, With that in mind, would you be able to give us a kind of brief history of Mount Vernon? 
Sure. And again, I mean, that's where I could spend two hours on it, but we'll give you the short version. Uh, the house that people visit today is Mount Vernon. Uh, was originally a one and a half story house built by George Washington's father in 1734. Uh, now Washington was 22 when as an adult he moved into that house that was home for the rest of his life and he made three additions to the house over the years bringing us to the 21 room mansion that people visit today. But now the land had been in the Washington family for generations before. It was his great-grandfather who got the land grant in 1674, and then it continued in the Washington family for another three generations after George Washington's death. Uh, now, germane to Mount Vernon and its name, he inherited the house from his half-brother Lawrence, and that's going to come up in a little bit here again, uh, but Lawrence had sailed under Admiral Vernon in the War of Jenkins' Ear, and it's when he came home, he renamed his house Mount Vernon in honor of his former commanding officer. So strange little twist of fate, our first American president lived in a house named after a British admiral. <laughs> I, I love, I love knowing that now. That is one of those little tidbits that honestly I could have seen being in, incorporated into National Treasure, which we'll get to obviously in, in a few minutes. Um, are there any important moments in history that our listeners would be, you know, surprised to know happened at Mount Vernon or involved Mount Vernon in some way? Because Annette, one of the things we love to do on this podcast is um, examine niche moments in history and oftentimes also connect them back to national treasure in really unexpected ways. But to even get to that stage, yeah. <laughs> Is there, uh, is there anything, you know, fun from history um, in terms of what happened at Mount Vernon that we should know about? Well, depending again on how you interpret it, after the Revolutionary War, we're limping along on the Articles of Confederation and different states have disputes with one another. Mount Vernon lays right on the Potomac River and Maryland and Virginia were fighting over uses of the river. And they decide to meet and iron this out, and they actually do it right here at Mount Vernon. George Washington invites the people from both sides, come do it at my house. And when he sees this and they help come to a conclusion, that is one of the spurs that leads us to the Constitutional Convention. Wow. Oh my gosh. We have to figure out how to work interstate. That's so, such a diplomatic move, right? It's yes. That's really interesting. Would would you would you argue that's one of the first real moves of diplomacy by the United States of America in terms of especially internal diplomacy? Uh, uh, probably internal diplomacy, yeah. Because external, we were having to reach out for help during the war, and it's so fun yeah. when we get and and again we're getting ahead a little bit, um, maybe just. But when we get visitors from other countries, it's fun to remember their contributions. So when we get a Dutch visitor, well, the Dutch were the first to recognize the fledgling nation of the United States. Oh. The Spanish were allies. Everybody knows about our French alliance and the Marquis de Lafayette. Mm -hmm. By the way, you also have to come take our Hamilton tour. I was gonna yes, ask. Please. <laughs> <laughs> I'm very interested in that option. <laughs> Well, really fun tour. I, I could imagine. Um, 
So that's really that's really neat and really interesting that that George Washington invited them into his home. Would you would you consider that a, a favorite fun fact of yours, or are there any other fun facts that you might have um, about the estate itself and its history? Well, one of my favorite fun facts: women get overlooked so much in history. Oh, preach! And. <laughs> Everybody knows about George Washington and his role as commander in chief. Uh, so Washington is gone from Mount Vernon for eight and a half years serving his country in the Revolutionary War. Mrs. Washington spent five and a half years of that time with him. She is at every winter encampment. Oh. So you know, the generals say he's in a better mood when she's there. She's helping support him, support the officers. Uh, you know, she's bringing supplies and, you know, she's there. So, you know, she's so overlooked as our first first lady. Everybody thinks Abigail Adams. Yeah. Oh, Mrs. Washington created the role of first lady. Wow. But she I... did it so quietly and giving him that support in a way where she doesn't really stand out. I had absolutely no idea about that. Did you, Em? No, 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 no That's idea. fascinating. I, it makes me, it makes you think we could dedicate an entire episode to, to that, you know? It's oh, and so, you know, the woman who was playing Mrs. Washington here at the time, Mary Wiseman, she just this spring decided to retire. Oh. But the people from the movie were so fascinated with her, they asked her to be in it. So she was on set one whole night and then her scene hit the cutting room floor. Oh my goodness. That is fascinating i'm sad that it didn't make it into yeah. the movie but oh my gosh what a cool experience for her by the way oh yeah and i mean she has been playing mrs washington for so long that when you walked away with a visit from her you felt like you had met mrs washington oh wow oh, that's wow. incredible that's like i feel like playing the role of a historical figure is can be really inspirational and you could really embody that person and inspire so many others it's like playing a role in a movie but you're interacting with real people on a daily exactly. basis that's super cool. and we have a number of first persons here um so yeah and we yeah we have actually had a woman play charlotte Oh my God. Okay. Whoa, this is so exciting. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm kind of losing my mind over here. Uh -huh. um, <laughs> but okay. again, getting ahead just a little. No, that is, you, along. Oh, you are getting me even more excited. Go ahead. And I think this really leads into your next question pretty well. Yeah, it really does. So, um, kind of what goes on at Mount Vernon today? Obviously, you're telling us about, you know, these tours and you know people who play these historical figures um but besides like national treasure because you mentioned that specifically has a tour um which we'll get to in a minute what else can visitors to the estate like learn about oh my goodness <laughs> big question Again, right <laughs> I, yeah you you want the two minute version as opposed to the two hour one right somewhere uh, in between <laughs> yeah so especially as we're coming into summer this is when all of our programs really open up again because over the winter with slower visitation we kind of cut back a bit but on a weekend um and and we do get people who sign up for pretty much every tour we offer 
So you've got the basic tour of the house. Now with the pandemic going on right now, inside the house is actually a silent tour and we have had to curtail what you can see uh, just for safety's sake. Um, but then uh, you can take a national treasure tour, you can take a Hamilton tour, you can take a tour about the enslaved people of Mount Vernon. Uh, and uh, our Guards and Groves tour will be coming back online soon as the flowers start blooming. Uh, we have a whole trades department. They demonstrate blacksmithing. Uh, they demonstrate down on our Pioneer Farm site different farming techniques. Uh, they do some open hearth cooking. Uh, and then with the different things we're growing, I mean, in the spring, they're going to be shearing sheep and working with the wool and they dye it or, uh, you know, they demonstrate the nets that are used for fishing and talk about all the fishing that would happen here. Uh, we have a reconstructed 16-sided barn for threshing wheat. Uh, we have a reconstructed slave cabin to show what the living conditions were for enslaved people. We have rare breeds of animals that we grow on, that we keep on the estate. So we have red Devon cows. Uh, we have Hogs Island sheep. The first four lambs are on display right now. Uh, so sometimes people witness the miracle of life. Uh, and we have a Hogs Island, uh, we have uh, Osaba hogs. So uh, yeah, uh, we've got beautiful gardens to stroll uh, and the gardeners are hard at work making sure that the plants we grow are being grown in the way that they would have been grown in Washington's day. Uh, oh my God. We have over 400 acres here to explore. 400 and, acres. Yeah. Now, a lot of that's not open to the public because we also have greenhouses and livestock facilities and the president of the estate lives on the grounds, but a lot of it is open. And then uh, particularly for people who take the National Treasure Tour, you get an extra little lock that's off limits to everybody else. Ooh. Uh, so, and, uh, you know, yeah. There's a lot to see and do. And then that doesn't even cover the indoor facilities because uh, the museum and education center, we've got an award-winning exhibit, uh, Lives Found Together, that's still running in the museum right now. And uh, then the education center, you kind of wind back and forth with different presentations and even mini films on George Washington and his life. So lots to see and do. And then if you plan on spending a whole day here, we also have a food court in an inn. Uh, to where you could take a lunch break and then come back and keep going because it's easy to spend a whole day here. So people who think they're going to cover it all in two hours barely get their feet wet. Wow. Well, oh Netta, Emily, take notes for our impact <laughs> trip to Mount Vernon. <laughs> yeah, really. And now I'm like, okay, well, we got to carve out a whole day here. That's, that's oh, for sure. You know, if, if you don't carve out enough time, you just regret it. For sure. I, I could totally see that. Wow. Wow. To bring us kind of into the realm of what, you know, Aubrey and I are particularly excited about here. Um, I just wanted to ask uh, on the record, have you seen National Treasure and National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets? And how do you feel about the franchise itself? I have seen both movies. Uh, as a matter of fact, my kids and I went to go see the first one, just the three of us. We enjoyed it so much. We dragged my husband back to the theaters because, you know, he needed, he had to be in on it. You know, we, he needed to understand what all we were doing there. 
Uh, and of course, when the second one was partially filmed on the grounds while I was working here, we had to go see that one. Now, I have to say, along the lines of many sequels, I feel like the sequel didn't stand up as well as the original. Uh, the leaps That's of fair. logic and, and it was funny because I rewatched the, the Mount Vernon scenes and I felt like in the little scene in the vault that they did a nice job of analyzing the stone and doing one thing and stopping and letting you think about the next step. But through most of that movie, they zip from question to answer without giving you time to puzzle it out. And I felt like that was one of the strengths of the first one was that they gave you that time to play along and puzzle it out. And that's where, again, my son and I were inspired to do our own treasure hunt uh, by the first one. Yeah, so really, I'm so glad you mentioned the sort of the way the clues came together in the second one. We've spent, Emily and I have spent a lot of time thinking about this. The way we like to describe it at this point is in the first movie, it feels very linear. You must solve the clues in this order and therefore take the time at each stage to figure out how it all fits together in this timeline. Whereas in the second movie, that that linearity of the clues is completely missing. The way I like to put it is you could find the clues in almost any order and still find the treasure at the end. Um, and that makes it, as Emily will tell you, more confusing. <laughs> so confusing for me. <laughs> well, and I mean, my intro to our tour, I'll say that, you know, obviously the first one, somebody wrote a story and then they decided to film it. The second one, I know they sent out location scouts. They picked what locations they wanted to use. And then, uh, they wove the story around the locations. And so it doesn't have the right flow, story flow. Yeah, you know, we also learned recently in um, our second conversation with the franchise co-creators that they were literally writing pages of script for the second movie and giving them to the actors the night before they were shooting those scenes. Which... Right, and so it just doesn't have the time and the planning. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah. We still love the history that it incorporates because it still does a really cool job of that. But yeah, the, the intricacy is lost a little bit. But really quickly, before we move on, we were talking about this a little bit before we started recording. And you just mentioned the scavenger hunt that you did with your son. Do you want to talk a little bit about that on the air? Because I think that's so cool. Sure. Uh, so the summer my son was turning 14, he and I spent a couple of days in D.C. going through the Smithsonian. Uh, and putting together a series of clues and different uh, exhibits that we could tie in. Uh, and I didn't mention before, but my sister was living in Thailand at the time. So she actually sent us a little Buddha amulet. And so at his party, he opened that up. We had the Buddha amulet and that was sort of the trigger to our hunt. Oh. And so we were weaving in and out of the different Smithsonian buildings, uh, finishing at the, uh, the greenhouse there at the end, the botanical garden close to the White House, or to the Capitol, sorry. Uh, and, uh, and there's actually uh, a lotus plant, you know, tying into Buddha again. And so we had created little treasures. So each kid got a treasure chest, but we just, we had such a blast doing that. Uh, and, uh, you know, I got two full days with my son in DC planning it all. And then he and his friends, just had such a wonderful time at the actual birthday party 
you know, making our way through all these clues. And then when we're all done, we actually went into the Library of Congress and peeked into the reading room that, you know, of course they use in the movie. So that was a lot of fun too. I've actually been in the room and that's, that's really cool to visit the Library of Congress and step into that reading room. Oh, wow. That sounds so fun. Oh my gosh, Emily, we should do that. We should. Oh, we yeah, definitely we should. should. If you, if you happen to still have that scavenger hunt, we'd love to look at it and maybe play along ourselves. That's so fun. I'll have to see if I can find it. You know, it's been, well, that was when he turned 14, he's 28. So, you know, there's oh. the thing. <laughs> But that's the cool thing about these films and something else that Emily and I appreciate a lot too is the, it's good family fun. You know, we did a whole episode at one point about how teachers use this in the classroom because it's clean, fun, but also informative and exciting and gets people hooked in all the time. Um, You know, Emily and I each have our stories about how we first stumbled upon the films. For me, it's very family driven as well. It was a tradition for my parents and I to go to the movies every Christmas. And that's how we saw both of these. You know, my mom is now a teacher and uses it in her own classroom. Emily saw it with friends and kind of vowed to always see the next one with those friends. You know, it's, everyone has a story associated with this story. And I think that's pretty cool. Well, and I think what I'll never forget is, you know, in that first movie, when he pulls up to the archives and he, they're, they're actually coming to break in, you know, he parks right in front of the sculpture garden mm-hmm. and then they run across the street to go in. Well, about a year before the movie came out, I parked in pretty much the same space to show my kids those documents when my daughter was learning about the Declaration of Independence in school. Because when you live 17 miles from the Capitol, why not? Yeah. You know, so when she was learning about it, we just went in and looked at them. And so to think, wait, they're parking right where we did. You know? That's so fun. Oh no, that's so awesome. cool. <laughs> that's something that Emily and I would absolutely eat up if we had a coincidence like that. You know, you could you could bet there'd be many an Instagram photo taken. Well, <laughs> And for the archives, ever since that movie came out, there's a line around the building. Of course, now with the pandemic, you can't get in. But before that, like I said, we parked, we crossed the street, we walked in. You know, yeah. the movie has created the line. <laughs> yeah, which is which is cool. I think one of the goals that I know the creators had for at least the beginning film was increasing that interest. You know, yes. the the creators themselves, especially Charles Seegers, um, it, they're so respectful and fascinated by history. And we like to joke, Emily and I like to joke that sometimes it feels like when Ben Gates is talking, it's actually, you know, the <laughs> creators, Charles and Oren speaking through the mouth of Nick Cage. Um, but that's, I, I love that that was an outcome of these films, that it has increased um, this interest. And you know what, I'm gonna go a little out of order here because I think it fits, but um, speaking of you know how the films have increased awareness and interest in the archives, do you think that specifically the second film increased interest in Mount Vernon? You know, maybe a little bit, but I have to say Mount Vernon is in a very um, unique position in being George Washington's home. And he's really, you know, one of the most famous Americans ever uh, that I think there's always an awareness of Mount Vernon. And we kind of joke that we get every eighth grader in the country. And okay, so it's only maybe, you know, a fraction of them, but of all those eighth grade trips to DC, a big chunk of them come to Mount Vernon. So every spring we have 
thousands of students that's awesome. you know who come visit because if you're learning about your government you're also learning about the man who created it sure sure no that makes a lot of yeah. sense well that's good I'm, I'm glad that there still remains that interest and that it has been steady over time because I mean, it's an important part of history. Um, okay. So let's talk more now, about the funny thing though, about national treasure with it though, is that we actually internally call this the tour that won't die <laughs> because how many years ago was that movie and people still want this tour? Wow. Well, you that's know, super exciting for us twice a day. <laughs> you know, three days a week right now. And there, I mean, there was a time we were offering it four times a day and it was selling out. Wow. Oh, oh my goodness. That, that is awesome. I mean, okay. So we'll get, we're, we're going to jump around here a little bit, but that's fine. <laughs> I'm not very linear to myself. <laughs> <laughs> you just got to go where the conversation flows. Right. So, okay. So clearly this tour, this National Treasure Book of Secrets tour is very popular. How long has it been running for? Did you start it right after the movie came out or did it take some years? Well, when the movie first came out, we thought, okay, we'll just open the basement and people okay. can take a peek in the basement and that'll take care of that. We'll do that for a month or two and, and, and that'll be it. Uh, so I was looking into it. It looks like it was April of 2008 okay, that so a year later. we started giving this tour. And we have given it ever since. Wow. So that is quite literally, I mean, 2008. So it's almost 13 years yeah. that this tour has been going on. That is, yeah. I mean, I don't know. Emily, that makes me really excited, right? Because we're always looking for the ammo and the support for National Treasure 3. Yeah. Clearly, people are still interested. <laughs> oh, yeah, and yeah. It, it's yeah. easy when you have a very, you know, we have a very niche podcast here and you know we yeah. have people who are very interested in national treasure and stuff and it's easy to to feel like so many people are interested in it but when we actually get to hear from people like you that there's still legitimately are a ton of people interested in it I mean I'm thinking about you said you have three days a week that tour is being offered twice a day and that's like currently during the pandemic exactly because so. If we, yeah, if we didn't have the pandemic, we would be offering it seven days a week. Amazing. Oh my gosh. <laughs> oh my gosh, this is too cool. This is too good. Okay, yeah. So we're definitely going to let you know when we're coming and yeah. it will be all over our Instagram. We'll live. <laughs> it'll be, a, it'll be a whole thing. It'll be fantastic. Okay. So I am really, um, curious then to learn more about maybe we could step back a second and the filming of the actual movie so you've already filled us in on how the martha washington uh character had a scene didn't make it etc so of course for any of our listeners who somehow missed missed this but mount vernon is the place where ben gates quote-unquote kidnaps the president of the United States at his own birthday party, rude. Um, and so we're wondering, since you were at Mount Vernon, when we were, you know, the film was actually shooting there, what are some more behind the scenes tidbits that you can share with us about the actual filming, whether it's, you know, how long was it 
was the shooting actually occurring for? Did you have to shut down the property? Did the other, you know, crew members have any interactions with you or your colleagues, et cetera, et cetera? Tell us everything. Sure. Of course. Well, okay. I'd only been working at Mount Vernon for about a year when this happened. Uh, So at that point I was pretty down on the totem pole. Uh, But um, they actually offered part-time work to any of the interpreters uh, because most interpreters work three days a week. So we work two weekdays. I worked Wednesday and Friday and every other weekend. So you could come in on one of your days off and be paid to talk to the public about what was going on because they put up the tent on the yard. And now what we got to see here is, I'm not 100% sure how well this is going to work just to show you, but I pulled a few pictures to share with you. Oh, cool. Um, So, you know, like this is, let's see how I need to hold that up. Um, The mansion set up for filming and I'm holding it wrong. (gasps) Cool. There we go. Oh, wow. Uh, And the post to the left there is the one that says, happy birthday, Mr. President. Oh, yeah. You know, when the the fireworks are going to go off and they've strung lights. Um, So, you know, that was part of the set. And you've got this big sign on the lawn saying, happy birthday, Mr. President. So we're trying to explain why that's there. Um, (laughs) That makes sense. (laughs) And so, you know, a little inside thing that we do talk about is these lights were actually strung to the columns on the piazza. So they made special rubber collars for the tops of the columns. So just in stringing lights, they wouldn't hurt the house. Oh, good. That's encouraging to hear, actually. That's that's actually Um, really nice. They definitely understood. And, And how we often wrap up the tours, you know, Mount Vernon is a national treasure. Mm-hmm. So they didn't want to hurt the house in the, but every night they're getting out, you know, this is what it looks like. With oh. all the, so all of that has to be packed in and packed out every day. Wow. Um, okay. So for our so, listeners, what we're looking at right now is all of the chairs uh, and, you know, the, the, the classic folding chairs for all the actors and the directors and everything sitting out on, on the lawn with a big light and, you know, the string lights. Yeah, up and so and that's everybody. a balloon light to try and give them, you know, enough light to see by. Wow. Whoa. And then, you know, we've got, you know, one of the, the pieces of equipment out there you know, again, for cameras and lighting and all of that. Look at that rigging. That is really interesting. If you- And then, you know, here's the uh, the, the sign actually going off in fireworks. <gasps> oh, uh, which I remember like, that right, scene. <laughs> right. So um, most of that was all cleared away. And think about the movie, all the scenes about Vernon are in the dark. Mm-hmm. And I've already mentioned, we get every eighth grader in the country well, they come in April and May and June. So at that time, without the pandemic, we were averaging between six and 8,000 visitors a day. Oh, so we don't shut down for that. So they had to wait until we closed for the day to pull out all the equipment, set it all up. And so I was looking at the timing on that. It took them five days to set everything up and then they had two nights of filming. Okay. And then they did pretty much the same thing down at the wharf, you know, time to set up and then the filming. So the scenes where Nicolas Cage is getting out of the boat and then the scenes where he's climbing out of the water in his wetsuit, all of that's filmed down at the wharf Mm, uh, on our property as well. 
Wow. Oh my gosh. I can't even imagine. That sounds like a huge process. And I just kind of assumed that you guys shut down for the period of filming because to me, I mean, after the pictures you just showed us, that's a lot of stuff, right? Like I can't even imagine. Part of it is they hide it all in the tent, Mm. but then they also had a couple of big sort of just boxes that they would drape a bit of camouflage over. So they'd be a little less noticeable, but yeah, I mean, the, the, the lawn was clear except for the sign. Uh, and even in putting that sign up, they had to consult with our archeologists to make sure they weren't putting holes in the ground somewhere we don't want holes. Wow. Well, again, I'm glad that was a thing that happened, <laughs> you know? <Yeah. laughs> well, okay. Well, cause I feel like one of the things is that, sorry, Aubrey, one of the things is that they, you know, in the movies and we've talked about this on the podcast is the way that, uh, like some of the things like the Declaration of Independence and stuff like that are handled are like very inaccurate in terms of how you would actually handle the thing. So it's really cool to see that the people that were making the films had that reverence for the history and were doing the research to make sure that it wasn't actually uh, damaging anything. Mm just a random question. I'm not sure if you'll know the answer to this, but I mean, does Mount Vernon, is, is, is it a place where you frequently see films or other sorts of productions actually shot? Cause I'm wondering how this process compared to others, if this is common. It doesn't happen a lot, but it does happen. Okay. Uh, so um, staff didn't know when we did close for half a day one time and it turned out the amazing race had their finish here oh cool uh and actually mrs washington met the racers in front of the mansion (laughs) you know that's incredible uh and then a lot of times we're even open so one of the times they set up a bunch of grills out on the lawn and one of the cooking shows had one of their competitions Oh my gosh. I've probably seen that. I'm a big food network and (laughs) cooking channel fan here. So, (laughs) um, and then if you go back, the Pelican brief had a scene at Mount Vernon. Okay. Uh, and then you've got to go all the way back. You got to be as old as me, uh, to, uh, remember that there was a mini series about George Washington starring Barry Boswick back in the eighties. Okay. Uh, and they actually filmed on the ground. Very cool. So it does happen every now and then. Now, on the other hand, if you're a PBS fan, this last year for New Year's Eve, they had a special filmed at Mount Vernon. And that was really cool because I saw Renee Fleming and a very surreal moment is to be standing at Mount Vernon on the circle in front of the mansion and hearing the strains of voulez-vous coucher avec moi ce soir wafting <laughs> through the air uh, because Patti LaBelle was here and I got to see a oh rehearsal. rehearsal. So wow. that was really cool. So jealous. So, <laughs> yeah, so we do stuff like that now and then. And I have to say that set for the NSO because it was National Symphony Orchestra and then all these performers with the National Symphony, that was the biggest set buildup that blew away national treasure wow that makes sense to me as as someone who's a musician uh that that makes a lot of sense to me that that well and plus it was the pandemic you know so yeah so everybody don't have thousands of visitors a day then you can compensate and david rubenstein fitted the footed the bill so uh you know 
money's no object. <laughs> <Wall Yeah>. out. <laughs> oh man. So, you know, I didn't, most, most of the time they made sure we were all off the grounds before filming started. Mm. Oh. So I really didn't, I never got to see Nicolas Cage. Darn. Um, but, you know, Mary <laughs> Wiseman did, you know, the night she spent on set. Um, so we really didn't interact with the crew because all of that was happening, you know, after hours. Now, obviously they would have interacted with some of the higher level staff who was there to make sure that stay, things stayed safe. Sure. Gotcha. Yeah. Uh, so based on this experience that you had when they came is there anything that kind of surprised you about the filming process I mean I know you know you sounded kind of uh surprised by the the like the way everything was set up and like the tents and the camouflage stuff but was there anything else about the the way that the filming happened that kind of surprised you um well yeah a couple of things uh first off uh, apparently it wound up, this scene actually wound up just in the trailer. It, it was cut from the movie, but in the trailer, you see the secret service trying to break down the door to the basement. Mm -hmm. And to do that, and again, to not hurt the house, they actually built a set of the basement door right in front of the actual basement door. Oh, so the fact that they were willing to go to that effort because we're not gonna bang down George Washington's actual basement door, but one foot in front of it, we'll build a copy of it. And that we can try and bang down. So that was, the other thing was we knew they were building a set of the basement. We knew they weren't actually, and, and they actually had had permission, but the space is just too tight for the camera and everything. Oh. So they took pictures and measurements and they built a set of the basement in Hollywood. Mm, that makes sense. And I was pleasantly surprised with how much it looks like our basement. Oh. As a matter of fact, when my husband is channel surfing at night, every now and then when TNT is running it one more time, I'll have this surreal, why am I at work moment? Oh, that's right, it's just the movie. <laughs> it, it looks that much like it. That is so cool to know, oh my gosh. That's amazing. So um, if any of our listeners came and paid you a visit like we are going to do at Mount Vernon, <laughs> What could they expect to learn on the National Treasure Tour itself? Like, can you give us a fun fact or a tidbit from the tour that might, you know, maybe entice them to come and visit themselves? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I mean, that's what this tour is all about. Well, first off, uh, the National Treasure Tour is one of the only ways to even see the basement. It's not mm -hmm. part of the regular tour. So if okay. you want to go down into the basement, you take one of the other specialty tours that goes down there. And, you know, for instance, Hamilton doesn't go to the basement because there's no reason to go down there. Sure. Uh, so at the moment, this is the only tour that does. Mm. Um, now, there are other tours that we offer at other times that also go to the basement. But right now, if you want to get to the basement, and we haven't got to this other question yet about a tunnel, but um, the tunnel in the movie was inspired by a tunnel at Mount Vernon. And so you learn more about that if you take the tour. And I have already mentioned that you will also get to walk past a sign that says, do not enter. <laughs> so the only way to access one part of our grounds is to be on this tour. Oh 
my gosh. Okay, I'm sold. I've been yeah. sold. <laughs> I mean, I was going to say I've been sold already. <laughs> <laughs> Hopefully. Well, and that's where some people, I mean, we get people who take the tour who've never seen the movie. Oh. And they still enjoy it because in a way, it's a behind the scenes tour at Mount Vernon. Right. It yeah. lets you see things that other people don't get to see. That makes a lot of sense. So for, in terms of the, the, the tour itself, is it a combination of the history of what you're seeing and how it plays into the movie? Yeah. I mean, we basically go in and we share, okay, this is the space that was used in the movie. This is how they used it in the movie. And then we turn around and talk about how was this space used by George Washington. Love that. That is actually very much in line with how we run our show. <laughs> yeah. And then, you know, that. sometimes along the way, we stop and talk a little bit more about George Washington because hello, where are you? you right. Know? Sure. Right. Okay. So as, uh, as we start wrapping this up, Annette, we, um, I, I can't even, I, I'm so excited by everything we've I know right now. <laughs> Emily and I are freaking out in our respective locations. <laughs> um, but we always like to, you know, end our interviews on what we call our fun speed round uh, that we tailor to our guests to make sure it's relevant to what they're bringing to the table. And so we've prepared a speed round for you all about let's call them assumptions that one might make about Mount Vernon after watching National Treasure 2. And so what I'm hoping we can do here is kind of quickly run through this list and you kind of just tell us whether they're true or false. And then I suspect that based on your answers, I'm going to want to follow up with some questions <laughs> after the speed round is over, but we'll play that one by ear. <laughs> okay, so are you ready, Annette, for our speed round? I am ready. So all you want from me right now is a true or a false. Yeah, give me give me a true or a false, and then um and then yeah, we'll we'll get to the the, the follow. We'll circle back. Yeah. <laughs> all, right. all right, there we go. Okay, number one, U.S. presidents can hold their birthday parties at Mount Vernon. True. Okay, other random non-presidential people can book Mount Vernon for various events. True. Emily, take notes. <laughs> Foreign dignitaries have visited Mount Vernon. Very true. I've got a list to share. Oh, can't wait. Okay. Uh, there may have once been a slave named Charlotte who worked on the grounds. Take out all the mirror. Charlotte was an enslaved woman who worked as a seamstress here, and she's got quite a story. Oh, okay. Following up on that one. Um, it is possible, I think we've sort of gotten to this, but we'll just clarify. It's possible to reach the estate by boat if you are a master scuba diver slash swimmer like Ben Gates. You can also book it on a tour out of Alexandria or for from the National Waterfront, or if you happen to be sailing around the world or rowing up the Eastern seaboard, yes, you can arrive by boat. Okay, Emily, we're going to have to spend an entire weekend at Mount Vernon is what I'm learning <laughs> yeah. from this conversation. Um, again, so I think I know the answer to this one, but I actually didn't know the answer was the answer that it is. There are tunnels under Mount Vernon? False. False. Okay. Okay. Very interesting. And circle back. Circle back. <laughs> and uh, the final speed round here, George Washington had a mark or a logo, kind of like the one we see signaling the entrance to the secret tunnel in the film. True. Oh, okay. So we're going to circle back on almost all of these is what I've decided from this <laughs> conversation. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So we can start sort of at the top in terms of events and visits. Maybe we can start there. What um, what would you like to share about you know the 
U.S. presidents or other people, but also the foreign dignitaries that have visited? Yeah, sure. Um, so I'm not aware of a president ever coming to have his birthday party. <laughs> One day. Uh, however, um, in my time here, uh, both President Bush and President Trump made official visits to Mount Vernon. Uh, and both times they were hosting the French president. So President Trump hosted President Macron and President Bush hosted President Sarkozy. Uh, and then Mrs. Obama and Mrs. Clinton both visited the grounds during their husband's time as president. Um, I, I actually looked at our official important visitors on our website today, and they went sort of chronological order from most recent back. So when Mike Pompeo came not too long ago, I actually conducted his replaying ceremony. Oh. Um, the day uh, Mrs. Trump was meeting uh, go governor's spouses at our library, I actually gave the tour to the governor's spouses. Uh, so I wound up speaking to the governor's wife from New Hampshire, uh, where one of the enslaved women owned a judge who ran away. She actually ran away to New Hampshire. So we got talking about that. Oh, fascinating wow. story. Very cool. Um, when the uh, Prime Minister of Israel was here, I saw him. Uh, when Prince Charles was visiting, I shook hands with his lovely wife, the Duchess of Cornwall, otherwise known to the public as Camilla. Um, yeah, uh, Justice Kennedy brought his grandchild through. It was adorable because here you are with the Supreme Court Justice, and all he cared was that the five-year-old got it. Aww. You know, it was like, don't talk to me, talk to my grandchild. Oh, cool. So, yeah, um, those are all on our website. And then um, a couple of the other encounters I just personally had, because one of the other of my duties is conducting VIP tours. Oh. So if you've ever watched, say, Pawn Stars, uh, I spent a couple of hours with Rick Harrison uh, when he came to visit Mount Vernon. Um, I've given the tour to the vice premier of China, the prime minister of Iceland, the ambassador from Denmark, you know. Um, oh my gosh. So that's just a few of them. I, I, I've got a spreadsheet at home where my husband keeps track of all the people. I, uh... I mean, you got, you have to. I mean, when you have that kind of track record. Okay, do you have a favorite, you know, special tour you've given? Oh boy. Most memorable, um, perhaps? <laughs> oh, recently, uh, we had women from the legislature of Costa Rica. And apparently, in their constitution, their legislature has to be half men, half women. Oh. And half of the women came to Mount Vernon on a recent visit to D.C. So I gave a tour to one quarter of the legislature of Costa Rica. Oh, that's pretty cool. That not many now, course, people can say that. <laughs> There's another one, I, I went to the library, I didn't even know who the group was. And I had to say, you know, sorry, gentlemen, time to stop talking, time for our tour. And it was members of Congress meeting with parliament members, solving, you know, problems. It's like, okay, guys, time to stop solving the problems of the world and come on a tour with me. So, oh my gosh, yeah. your story. So yes, we get that level of people, you know, the, Oh, what do they call the group Congress has where they're all trying to get along? They hold summits here. Oh, okay. Like the caucuses? Or... Well, you know, uh, oh, why am I drawing the blank on this? You know, my brain just starts going in all, oh, all these different directions. But um, that's cool. 
you know, there's this one committee where they're all trying to get along a little better. And what better place to come than Mount Vernon to step away from it and be inspired by our first president who didn't believe in parties um, to try and get along again. That is poetic and I love it. So yeah. Very cool tidbit there. Okay, let's uh, let's talk about this uh, Charlotte situation. Yes. Um, so you you mentioned earlier in this interview that you had someone who played Charlotte at the time. Since I didn't know Charlotte was a real person, I thought it was just oh to entertain our national treasure fans. Charlotte was real. Yes. So of course you know Matt Vernon was a plantation and George Washington was a slave owner. And so was, Ms. well, yes, so was Mrs. Washington. It all gets complicated here. So Washington inherited the house and he inherited human beings. And when he married Mrs. Washington, she brought people from her first husband's estate because she was a widow. And so the people who came with her from her first husband's estate were considered dower property. And that's the category that Charlotte fell into. She belonged to the Custis estate and Mrs. Washington had lifelong use of the labor of those enslaved people. So eventually in his will, George Washington set free the people he owned. But of the 317 enslaved people who lived here the last year of his life, that was only 123. Oh. 153 of them belonged to the Custis estate and they had to be left to the Custis heirs. That's Mrs. Washington's four grandchildren. And then another 41 human beings are being leased. And it just boggles the mind to think of an era when people are being bought and sold and leased. Yeah. So Charlotte was an enslaved woman considered part of the dower property. So when Mrs. Washington eventually died, Charlotte was left to her grandson uh, and she moved to Arlington, which is the house he built. Uh, so another one of those sort of mind blowing connections of history is that, you know, our national cemetery started out as the home built by Mrs. Washington's grandson for himself. Oh, huh. that's fascinating. You know, I, everything that you note is, is so, it's tragic, right? When you, when you think about it in great detail and we, we have that conversation or we, we hedge up on that conversation a lot on this show. Um, but I will say that from the creative perspective, when it comes to this film franchise, I, I like to think about the interesting connection between the name Charlotte and it, for this film and the use of the name Charlotte in the first film. So the fact that Charlotte was a real person um, that lived and worked at Mount Vernon makes me, it's, it's this weird, um, I mean, I, justice is the wrong word, but I'm really glad it was a real person and not just this made up figment to just make the story flow. In, in a way. Do you right. Know I mean? And I mean, I have to say that I'm glad they got that line in there that yeah. this map passed through the granddaughter of Charlotte because we meet, I meet the descendants of enslaved people here. Do you? And that, I mean, 
that is always amazing because especially enslaved people, their histories are lost. Yes, sure. And so often their families don't know who they're descended from. And so when they're able to trace back that they know who their ancestors were, that is precious. Yeah. And we know that Charlotte is one of the three enslaved women who actually witnessed George Washington's death. Really? She's standing there with two other women uh, and another enslaved man, uh, his, his valet, Christopher Shields, was there. So at, in that moment, he's taking his last breath. Four of the enslaved people at Mount Vernon are standing there witnessing that moment. Wow. That is, wow. I don't even, I don't even have words. <laughs> that is, I, I hope that people ask a lot of questions about the enslaved people that lived on on the estate so that their history can remain alive and their story can be told um because it sounds like if anyone can tell that story with justice it's you and your colleagues which is which is well and it's something that over the years i have become very passionate about and so you know again i can't highly enough recommend taking our enslaved people at mount vernon tour and for people who don't have the time to take it, that tour actually comes with no extra charge. All you have to do is reserve a spot on it. Oh, good. Um, but we also have a self-guided brochure that anybody can just pick up and pursue that on the grounds and then just ask us more follow-up questions. Wow. There's also okay. terrific information on enslaved people on our website. We'll share that. Um, we'll find that link and, and share it on our, our social medias for our listeners to check out because I'm sure they'd really appreciate that. Thank you for sharing. Um, okay. Well, Let's move on to something a little bit lighter. Um, I think I know the perfect thing, actually, as long as we're talking about Charlotte for one more moment. Sure. I want to compare and contrast. So, uh, you know, this is what they use in the movie. Uh-huh. Yeah, right? We see so the map. Washington's actual sketch of his basement is very boring. Oh my goodness. <laughs> and again, uh, I can send you the link to the document on our website. That'd be great. But, you know, that's it, you know, so far. <laughs> no, no tunnels and just, uh, you know, a few rooms sketched out. Yeah. A lot, we're looking, our listeners, we're looking at a lot of rectangles uh, for the most part. <laughs> that is so interesting. But I, that's another thing that I didn't realize that, yeah, there would be an actual map of the basement and that's you know they embellished it a bit for the movie but hey there was a map <laughs> uh, yeah yeah so it's fun how much they take something real and then play off of it so the exciting thing to see on the tour is the you know the plaque here uh -huh. and again this is something where if you go on our website right now and you take our virtual tour and check out the basement you're going to see a little video of our head of preservation saying that the LW on here is the half-brother Lawrence who named the house Mount Vernon. <sighs> Only we've actually learned that that's not the case. And I like to say that history's not carved in stone. Wow. <laughs> because we actually think that this was a plaque put on a building by George Washington's grandfather whose name was also Lawrence Washington. Oh. Now in the movie, instead of a heart in the middle, it's a cornerstone, it's, a, it's an arrowhead. Mm -hmm. But for purposes of the movie, they switched out the heart with an arrowhead. But there are the two halberds, there are the two letters. Now, I believe that in the movie version that actually went out to theaters, they put a G instead of a, an L. Oh. 
but mm -hmm. in the DVD version or, you know, the, the, the current version you see, they did go back to the actual L. Oh, that's really oh. interesting. Huh? So that's, I love this too, because I, didn't know that that they call it in the film the mark of George Washington. I don't know if that's really what you what you all call it, but um, I didn't know that was real. I had no idea. Yeah. I thought that was an embellishment because they need to you know make something that triggers the door to open, so they just make a mark right. as movable so, parts. Spoiler alert: When you come on the tour, they moved it, so it's not where it is in the movie, but it is in the basement. Okay. Okay. So. We have the mark, we have the basement, but we don't have tunnels in real life. Well, we do have tunnels, just not under the mansion. Just not under the mansion. Okay, where, mm. where are the tunnels? Well, Washington has an ice house. Here we go. So this is a diagram showing. So when you're looking at the base, at the ice house, it's a separate building. He's got lots of outbuildings. So you stand up here and this is where the door is. This is the main entrance. Okay. And an enslaved person accessing ice would have had to go in here onto a wood floor and then climb a ladder to get down to where the ice would be. Okay. But then there's a tunnel that comes out on the hill overlooking the river. And the exit to the tunnel is actually what they copied to make the exit Nicolas Cage comes out of. Oh, oh my gosh. Oh. So again, you can't actually come out of the tunnel right now. Now, okay, again, I've been working here 15 years. Last winter, I got in there for the first time, actually in there, because oh, wow. on the tour, we opened the door to where you can look in, but that, they were scanning it with laser scanners to learn about the condition of all of it. And they actually had the ladder in. So I got to go in and climb down the ladder and go through the tunnel. Lucky you. So I've been talking about this tunnel for, you just said, 13 years. I finally got into it. Yes. Uh, really cool. And so they did have the door open and you could look. Now the door broke after they made the movie. So the boards across it are because the door broke. Uh, but gotcha. you, if you come on the tour, you actually get to see this. You. Oh, Emily, we're going to get to see that. <laughs> So this is where they took John Turtletaub down there. They showed him this and he's like, oh, so cool. There's a tunnel on the grounds of Mount Vernon. Let's connect it to the mansion. Let's make it look like it winds for miles. This is a tiny little tunnel. Gotcha. Um, I'm terrible at distances, 15 feet, maybe something like that. Okay. Okay. That but makes it's sense. it's enough to actually walk through and I'm short enough. I don't have to duck. Fair enough. And enough to give inspiration to a very critical moment in this film. There you go. So there is a tunnel. It's at Mount Vernon. It's just not under the mansion. Okay. This is really good to know. I love all these clarifying points. And I'm not gonna I'm not gonna lie in it. We um we spent a lot of time complimenting the people who produce these films on how much of history they actually um you know, touch on and are inspired by. And whenever we have conversations like this one, where it's even more than we realized, uh, you know, we can go and Google, you know, um, the Statue of Liberty and the Charlotte ship in the first film and, you know, find all those fun tidbits. But when you tell us, oh yeah, I mean, there's, it's not tunnels under the, like the mansion, but there, there is a tunnel and they use that to inspire this. That makes me just even happier. This is, yeah. Ugh. This is a good day. <laughs> <laughs> well, and I have to say, people who take the tour really love that. 
Oh yeah. I don't, yeah. I mean, our national treasure fan universe, there's some good people that are really, uh, they know what they're looking for. So props. <laughs> and then the fun aside that you get when you get talking ice house is what they did with it. Did you know the Washington's made ice cream? No, no. And they made flavors like we think of like vanilla and strawberry and chocolate, but they also made flavors like oyster and pickle and Parmesan. Oh my. Stop. Are you serious? <laughs> so yeah. Wait. Okay. But then I have to ask, does your restaurant on the estate make those flavors for people to try now? No, there is a restaurant in DC that makes oyster ice cream. Really? Yeah. Have you had it before? I haven't. Now I've read the recipe for that one and essentially think of making an oyster soup and straining it and freezing the broth. So Gross. it's purely savory. Okay. Uh, yeah. The one that really grosses me out is the Parmesan because the recipe, you've got all the sugar of a regular ice cream and then it's got this Parmesan cheese in it. And now you got to think Parmesan cheese in George Washington's time traveled across the Atlantic in the hold oh, of no. the ship. This has got to be some really pungent, pungent. And yeah, no, I that one's the one oh I can't. Gosh. But oh now my I have seen recipes on Facebook for pickle ice cream. So what goes around comes around. I guess so. I mean, I've definitely seen like pickle snow cones. I guess you could just kind of put the juice over the ice. There you go. But you no, know. the you've you've totally sold me on how gross the the Parmesan ice cream would be. At first I was like, oh at least it's dairy. Cheese yes, is no. dairy, but no, no, that's not going to work at all. Very Wow, I'm learning so much today. <laughs> um, okay, well, in order to respect your time, because I'm sure we could yes. go on with all of this <laughs> for literally hours. Emily, do you want to wrap up yes. with our final question of the day? Yeah, so we like to ask this um, to everyone that we you know, have a chance to speak to. Um, and that's from your perspective, what do you hope that, viewers of National Treasure 2 take away from the film, especially in your case regarding Mount Vernon or American history, even as a whole? Well, from my perspective, I mean, that Mount Vernon is a place where people come to have potentially high level meetings or, or parties. Um, but then also it's something accessible to everybody. I mean, George mm -hmm. Washington is everyone's first president. Mm -hmm. So whoever you are, wherever you came from, we have visitors from all over the world and all over the country and everyone is welcome. Oh, what a, what a great way to, to end this. And we really do hope listeners, if you're out there wondering if you should pay a visit to Mount Vernon, that you do, that this is something that when you come to DC, you should spend or plan to spend not just two hours on the Mount Vernon estate, but you could spend literal days. And we we hope that you will go and check out um, Annette and her colleagues' work, and you know learn a thing or two um, beyond what you learned here on on today's episode. And Annette, thank you again so so much for joining us and sharing all of this incredible information. Oh, you're quite welcome. I enjoy doing it. And we look forward to seeing you when we visit Mount Vernon soon. <laughs> well, I will be very offended if you don't get in touch. <laughs> Sounds good. Amazing. Well then, Emily. Well then, indeed, Aubrey. 
okay. I know I said this at the beginning because we did, you know, fun, fun behind the scenes fact. We're recording the intro and outro to this episode after we actually conducted the interview. So I know I kind of already spoiled this, but this is one of my favorite interviews that we have done to date. Yes, this was absolutely fantastic. We cannot thank Annette enough for taking the time to talk to us and, you know, by talking to us, talk to all of you as well. Oh, for sure. She also shared not only so many interesting informational tidbits, but pictures and references to links and stuff on the Mount Vernon website that we will absolutely be sharing um, in the coming weeks. So do not forget to check those out. Let's do the social media shout out early. And where are they going to find those? You can find us on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast. Go ahead, leave us a comment. Tell us what you think about the episode. As Aubrey said, be on the lookout for these links and pictures because let me tell you, they are pretty cool. You can find us to listen to on iTunes, Spotify, or be a little hipster, go down that SoundCloud route. And we are National Treasure Hunt. Uh, go ahead, like, subscribe, rate, review, whatever you can do on those various platforms. Guys, let us know that you're following along with us as we go on this treasure hunt. Yeah. And it's it's true. I really believe after this conversation today that Mount Vernon is indeed its own little treasure. Nice little mm-hmm. semi-hidden gem since it's, you know, off it's not in what we all think of DC proper, right? Um but I, I'd love to hear what our listeners think about some of the things we learned today. So for example, I actually cannot believe how much more of the National Treasure 2 plot was inspired by actual Mount Vernon history and architecture. I mean, I didn't realize, for example, that, okay, number one, Charlotte was a real person. Mind blown, right? <laughs> number two, the um, the tunnel associated with the ice chamber room thing is what inspired the tunnel system in the film. Or, you know, you really can get there by boat. And so that's not far-fetched at all. Like, all of this is just, we say it a lot, Emily, but it makes me respect the movie that much more. Mm-hmm. It really does. <laughs> Ugh. I don't know. What did you find? Did you have any favorite moments or anything that you learned that surprised you? Yeah, you know, Aubrey, so what I found really interesting was that they didn't shut down Mount Vernon for the actual filming. Yeah. Like, I thought that they were definitely going to need to, you know, stop tours for a few days or something like that. And I think Annette, you know, basically, like, put it very well. She was just kind of like, no, like, we weren't going to stop. Like there are people coming. It's to our see busiest time of we're year. Gonna, <laughs> yeah, we're not going to stop. So they had to do all their filming. I mean, at night, but also with the the tent set up and all the stuff on the lawn. I mean, it just it's it's crazy to me. Probably a good thing that um, the character of Ben Gates decided to kidnap the president at a birthday dinner and not like a birthday brunch where it would have needed to be daytime <laughs> yeah i wonder if that had anything to do <laughs> <laughs> that's a plot point absolutely and you know what i gotta say i am majorly jealous of the woman who plays martha washington or has for a very long time played martha washington at mount vernon and that she got to be on set during filming that is 
insane. Major props to you. Yes, I mean, basically our dream. Yeah, we could we could do that. We could, we could make it happen. Put us in a costume. We'll do what you need us to do. <laughs> <laughs> but but no, I mean, I just a little. But anyway, um, there was so much good and interesting stuff to come out of this one. So please do tell us your thoughts. What was most intriguing to you? And when will you be visiting Mount Vernon? We want y'all to go and take the National Treasure Hunt tour with Annette and her colleagues. Um, if if our conversation with her was any indication, that tour is an awesome time. Mm-hmm. So with that, let's start wrapping this one up. Emily, again, one reminder to our listeners, this is the final episode of National Treasure Hunt Season 2. Mm-hmm crazy time has flown but don't worry you guys we are not going anywhere we know there's only two national treasure movies right now but that doesn't mean we're stopping at two seasons we actually have so much more planned for you guys season three of national treasure hunt will begin reaching the airwaves in july of 2021 so we have lots more to come related to both the first National Treasure and National Treasure 2 Book of Secrets. And you know what? Um, maybe we will even have some things to say about the fairly recently announced National Treasure inspired TV series. I can barely contain my excitement about that. Guys, season three is going to be rocking. If you think that we used up all of our talking points, you <laughs> are mistaken and do not understand how deep we go into all of these films and all of the plot points. We have so much to talk to you guys about. So please, please come back in July and even, you know, stick with us through the off season a little bit. Please do, because we have a lot in store for you on our social media, again, on Twitter and Instagram at NT Hunt Podcast throughout the off season. We might have a fun bonus episode for you. We might have some new ways for you to show your support. What could that mean? Only time will tell. And of course, we're always sharing news about the franchise as it breaks. So, you know, you want to be following us. Um, and get those reminders when season three is coming your way once again. So I think that's it, Em. Is that it for season two? I think that is a wrap on season two. Oh, my gosh. Okay, well, until season three, I'm Aubrey. And I'm Emily. And thank you so much for joining us on our National Treasure Hunt. <laughs>